Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bow Rush Podcast. I'm Scott Nelson, and I got Travis Stowe with me. Travis, how you doing today, bud? I am doing awesome. Man, you know, we are, we've been cooking along here. We're actually on episode 35, and we're, we're kind of, we're kind of right in the middle of a specific series, right? Expedition hunting, right? Mm-hmm. So we got a guy on that does a, a ton of it, and you know we're gonna dive into the to the African expedition hunts. But right now we really want to dive into those those North American style ones, one of the great ones that is super super hard hunting. You got to be in shape, you have to be mentally ready for it, and it's uh, going after sheep. And let's talk a little bit about the guy we have on today. His name is Cam Foss. And what seemed to bring my attention to him originally was because I saw a video that he posted on his Facebook wall, and it was incredible. They were on a side of a mountain, which he's going to share about this on the show, but they're in a side of a mountain. There is this massive amount of wind, probably 70, 80 miles, and they're gripping the ground as best they can. Just to try to imagine what that's like. It's freezing cold, heavy wind, and probably 30 yards away, you see this massive sheep just staring them down. And they were there for hours waiting for him just to go down past so they can actually go and take a shot after him. The intensity that he had to deal with, it was it just mind-boggling. But we were able to bring him on and share his experience on that particular hunt, but just in general, the type of things you have to do for this type of hunt. So, you know, hunting whitetail is one thing. You get adrenaline. There's always scenarios that come up, situations that, that come around, weather that comes in. But hunting sheep in some of the most brutal conditions you can even think about. Um, hey, Cam, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Thanks for coming on today. Hey, guys. Thank you for being on the show, by the way. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. And You're in Canada, is that correct? Yeah, Calgary. Like, I grew up just outside of Calgary, Alberta. Going into it, the reason why I wanted to reach out with you, Cam, is because... You posted a video, uh, actually it was on Instagram, that was pushed onto Facebook. I saw it and it blew my mind. And it's this 22-yard shot. You're seeing the sheep in the background, but it looks like you're on this edge of a cliff. You're almost, I, I assume you're on your knees because the wind seems like it's blowing like 50 miles an hour. I, it blew my mind. I'm, I'm really trying to figure out what in the world were you thinking? For one, that, that seems like an incredible experience, but how? Like, could you elaborate on this experience? Um. Yeah, no, it's unreal. So kind of background on that, that was a really late season bighorn sheep tag with our with my dad and myself. And we actually ended up trying to stalk that ram for seven days in a row. So Ooh. there's another video my brother took, and he was with us here for the first couple of days. And we couldn't even stand up. The wind was blowing so hard. They calculated sort of down the ridge from where we were at a, at a ski hill. They calculated the wind at the top of the chairlift on the ski hill at 165 kilometers an hour. So that's going to be like just over hundred miles an hour oh and gusting to, gusting to 200 kilometers an hour. So now it's on lower down on the mountain. So I don't know what it was on the ridge, but it was pretty crazy. We couldn't even stand up. So that anyways, that day we, we tried to stalk that ramp for seven days. I think that was the fourth day we tried, my dad and I, we tried to stalk that ramp and we got, uh, I came up one side of the mountain, he came up the other, and today that ram's there, and we tried to sort of make a plan, and we hunkered down, and my dad was like, hey, I don't even think I can feel my fingers if I take my gloves off, or, like, we couldn't even shoot, and for sure there was no ethical shot, 
and the wind's blowing in your rangefinder, snow's getting in your rangefinder, snow's in your peep, snow's in your cams and in your in your sight. As soon as you take your bow case off or your or uh, your string cover off there, and so we're trying to figure out how we can get on this ram. And all of a sudden, out of the it's just blowing steady, and all of a sudden, out of the uh, wind and snow, this ram just appears, and he has big kind of truck tires on each side of his head and he's just coming towards us and I'm looking at my dad and I click the GoPro on and he's going like I can't shoot I can't feel my fingers and so I shake up a hand warmer and we're trying to get our hands warm and there was no ethical shot anyways but that ram stood there on the pinnacle at 22 yards for quite a bit and it was almost like he was leaning into the mountain to fight fight off the wind so it it was unreal just to see it was like smoke or wind or snow just just hammering us the whole way up that mountain like i can remember the side of my face just getting pounded with wind and then having to switch my gloves halfway through the hike and one glove blowing off the mountain and and uh it was just crazy but that one side of my face was just like getting stung and stung and stung with uh hard ice or wind and uh anyway so it was cool and then when we saw that ram, we saw him up high, and all of a sudden he just came down out of the smoke. He just had big, like, looked like truck tires coming off the side of his head, coming through the smoke right towards us. And we were just, like, not even frustrated. You just heard, uh, and it was pretty incredible to see to see that just coming through. And we're like, well, there he is. and, and uh, We can't do anything about it. <laughs> and so, and so, so that, was, that was 20 seconds of a clip where that was actually, like, four and a half hours of us on the top of this mountain trying to battle all that. So, oh my God. Wow. So that was, that was pretty cool. So, so basically this environment, I mean, it's brutal for you to be out there trying to, to do this type of hunt, but that I mean, that's, that's where they feel most comfortable because they feel like they're in a safe environment because there's no predators going after them at that type of altitude and that type of uh, weather condition. But uh, it's, it's crazy to think the things that you're willing to go after to achieve this type of hunt. And here he's just out there thinking he's all safe and, uh, you know, fine a dandy, not knowing that there's something coming up towards him. Yeah, for sure. That, that's like one of the things that's like, for me is really cool about hunting sheep is, and especially like really old rams is they've escaped cougars and grizzly bears and wolves for 12 and a half years. They've lived while well, that ram lived 12 and a half winters, probably in a very similar area, 12 and a half winters of, 160 kilometers or 100 mile an hour wind steady um pure muscle that in yeah and endure that environment for 12 and a half winters where like we could barely survive four and a half hours up there um is is like i guess in a way it's just a lot of respect to those animals and and uh it's just unreal like a, a ram 12 and a half years old 12 and a half winters like that to battle that to and to thrive in that environment is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's such, there's so many different types of hunting, so many different types of game that people are going after. And, and that's something that is, to a lot of people, the the pinnacle. That's the ultimate hunt. That's the ultimate, you know, challenge. So talk about the mindset. Because like you said, you, you had a hard time surviving four and a half hours up there, let alone um, remembering your training, your draw, your form, everything for the for that moment for for that for that single shot what's the mindset as you set off in the morning on the first morning of of the first hunt what what are you thinking about how are you prepping yourself for that that period of hunting yeah so 
like a couple things is I guess one never like nothing really replaces experience and it's really hard to get. Like I think like the only real thing to do is is to hunt. Mm-hmm. But uh and and like a lot of mistakes and I've made it a lot is the first day you're so excited you just wanna run up that mountain, um and just get up there and you're charging and, and you know, you got lots of energy and and uh in a way like it's kinda of to your detriment. You just like gotta tell yourself, hey, I gotta slow down, I gotta glass, I gotta look, I gotta do all these things. But you're still really excited as well and you're trying to to in a way battle that part too. So um yeah, you know, it's just uh yeah, exactly. And then you know too, like this isn't gonna be like this isn't a lightweight summer hunt, you're going uh you know it's gonna be tough elements. It could be minus thirty, minus forty celsius so that's going to be like minus 25 fahrenheit to minus 35 fahrenheit god uh, man you, you you really have that calculation down don't yeah. you know, too. <laughs> yeah well converting because probably most people are listening are american but yeah. but uh so no but it's going to be uh like it could be that cold or you could get uh and the same thing that goes to gear so it could be like 32 degrees or 40 degrees and the, and the weather swings so much so you need to have gear it could be hot and sunny um and then the very next day you could have minus 30 the 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 weather so volatile the wind is so volatile um mm-hmm. so you, you really just need to know that you're prepared you got the gear you're physically trained hopefully you're mentally ready to go but uh you really do you really never know if you are or, or what you do but you really just got to take like one day at a time anything can happen one day you could kill that round on day one or day 10 um mm-hmm or whatever it is. So you, you just got to be prepared. With the, uh, you're talking about the experience and that you've had a lot of, like, how many years have you been hunting these type of sheep? So I, I, uh, we, like I grew up 45 minutes when my brother, Adam, he's two years younger than me. We grew up uh, 45 minutes from the Canmore Bowl zone. So in Alberta, we're really lucky because we can get a big horn tag for $52 a year. Um, nice. Over the counter. And then, and you're just in prime bighorn sheep country. The Canmore Bowl zone is 45 minutes away from us. So we are really lucky that way. And then our dad was really into it. And I always laugh, like he would take us out of school on Friday. And we had the worst camouflage or no camel, the worst gear. Our bows were so low budget. Our boots were just (laughs) awful. But, but like, and I laugh about it now. And, and I remember he'd always come walking into school with like a camo shirt on coming to pick us up and we'd go hiking for the weekend. And it's funny now, but that's like, uh, that's, the that, grit. that's how we started. That's how the passion started. And we'd go backpacking into a spot for, and it'd take us, I don't know, eight hours to get into it. And now I look back and laugh because we're day hike. It's a long day hunt, but you're day hunting that same spot that we were camping in for three days or whatever now. So just, uh, I guess like one fitness and training and then also gear has improved, uh, Mm -hmm. so much and then mentally what you're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, so that we started at kind of 14 years old, 12 years old, just following him around and then out there hunting. So that's going to be, uh, that's like almost 18 years. Nice. Wow. That's, that's a lot of experience. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, that's all you hunt rams the way a lot of people hunt, hunt deer. I mean, with the consistency, because that's, that's your game you're going after every year. Cause you can get, you could get a tag for $52, right? 
Exactly. And, and like for myself, I have an, actually in our home province over a real lucky as bull hunters, we can get a white tail, a mule deer, a moose, an elk tag, a sheep tag, um, just over the counter. They're all $52. And, uh, oh, I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. amazing. The taxes are a little higher though, but, uh, <laughs> no problem. but, uh, it, but really like I had the last couple of years, I haven't even bought a, uh, white tail tag or any other tag. Haven't even bothered to. And it's just, uh, man, one like the hunt, the like hunting sheep is, uh, for me so much fun. And, and the people I do it with and the places I do it with are, are just really my passion and what I really like doing. So, you know, there's, there's a ton of people out there who've never had that opportunity. You know, you talk about, we'll say Colorado, you know, sheep is, is a once in a lifetime draw. You know, you draw it once, whether you harvest or not, you're done. You, you don't have another shot. So with you, year in and year out, you're going after them and those kind of elements, I would imagine those kind of elements draw a ton of adrenaline for that full four and a half hours or however long that, that hunt is. What's the adrenaline change between, you know, really trying to survive for four and a half hours and then that, that moment when you finally get a shot, typically, you know, whitetail hunters and mule deer guys, it's, it's a lot of kind of patiently getting into position. The conditions aren't anywhere near what you're facing. So it may not be this huge adrenaline pull. And then this huge adrenaline pull of there's the deer, there he is, heart starts thumping, get the bow up, draw and shoot where's the adrenaline change or is it kind of more of a steady adrenaline climb when you, when you're shooting a ram in those kind of conditions? Well, what one kind of crazy thing is, is like if you spot a ram at first light at seven in the morning, you know, the adrenaline kind of shoots up and you get these crazy thoughts in your head and you're like, wow, (laughs) you see that ram in your spotting scope and however far away he is, you go, wow, that's, that's incredible. And the adrenaline shoots up and then, and then you really got to say to yourself, like, is this ram in a spot I can stalk? It's, well, I guess you got to see if he's legal and old enough and, and that. But um, at, like at that point, you're getting pretty excited. The adrenaline starts going. And I've made the mistake is you just grab your bag and like run down the mountain and run to the top and hope he is. But uh, you really need to stop, think about where's the wind coming from? Where's the sun going? Where are my thermals going to be in, when I get over there in six hours? What's that going to be like? what's the best route up there? Is there any other sheep over there? So, so just kind of that thought process or what's the best, or is it even in a stockable position? Um, but if you're, if you are going, you, uh, or you have a climb like that. So if we're on top of that mountain for four and a half hours, but it took us three and a half hours to get up there, say two hours in snowshoes. And then, uh, about an hour and a half of just climbing through the blowing off icy rocks. So, I'd be beat. Kind of, and then probably at some point when the wind's hitting, you're thinking, what the hell am I doing up here? I should just turn around. So, but, but when, and then you kind of see that ram coming through the, the cloud or the smoke there, battling the wind, and, and you're rushing to get your gear and, and uh, you know, like that kind of a real big high there. And then not really a low that you didn't get an opportunity, but in a way you're kind of frustrated that you hiked all that time and spent four and a half hours up there and it's going to take you three and a half hours to get down. It's going to be tricky. And then you're going to get your snowshoes on. It's getting cold and dark and, and, uh, but just keeping like an even, even keel, um, 
that like that kind of I think that's the most important part it's it's almost humbling when oh it is it's got to be humbling when you don't get that shot opportunity and you're seeing this animal just work its way through a terrain that you were battling through and it's not that you got outsmarted just they are built for that and you sit there and you think to yourself how did i not get a shot and they just do this so effortlessly and disappear into the rocks yeah, yeah it's happened a lot and it, it is demoralizing. demoralizing so i like i don't want to admit it but you know like you could leave a mountain crying sometimes just uh you put so much effort and maybe even not even on the climb but even before you've practiced shooting you work so hard you trained hard you put a lot of resources into just being there and a lot of time and then something like that kind of falls apart plus you're trying to battle the highs and lows and stay mentally in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. But also, too, is it's pretty cool to to uh, have an experience like that, too, and think like, well, we could have a similar experience tomorrow. So I guess mm-hmm. we're pretty lucky to be able to do that again. So kind of good we didn't fill our tag. <laughs> well, you're talking about how intense it is from the time you start up that hill, you know, you find an animal – and you're saying, you know, it takes six hours to get into a position where you can even really start estimating a stock. Uh, that's a lot of a lot of expended energy. How do you practice shooting your bow at after expending that much energy? I mean, what do you do? Do you go out and just run a ton? Do you go out and actually do a full day hike, get back down, immediately pick up your bow and, and start focusing to shoot? How do you practice for shooting after being that exhausted? Yeah, that's. That's a good uh, question. I'm, I think, I guess, bow hunters or even athletes or um, anything like fitness or we're always trying to kind of refine our craft and get better. So the last couple of years, I've kind of just, I said, in, I, I've kind of tried to skip the practice range and I'll use it just to like dial in my sight, mm-hmm. get my sight tape all dialed in. And then I just bought like a, 3d target and i'll throw it on my back and charge up to a hill or a mountain and uh i'll just bring five arrows and i'll climb up set that target up and i'll just try and take like as many practices shots i can it'd be say a third shooting up a third shooting down a shirt a third shooting cross ways um i don't sometimes try and run up and then shoot run 50 yards or kind of hike really hard with a backpack on drop it and shoot uh but like i really really found and and i think it's improved a ton is uh shooting shooting at uh up down different angles different positions just to see how your bowl is leveled just to see how you have to hold your bowl your stance is uncomfortable you're in a different seated position when you're stalking in the mountains and you know just walking back and uh walking back to 20 yards and then 30 yards and 40 yards. That's, that's completely different shooting. That's not even really shoot bow hunting, bow hunting in the mountains, especially for sheep is a steep shot or an uncomfortable shot or something like that. So, and it's really hard to replicate to that pressure, but you're trying to do things like that, that make it realistic. So, so when you do do it, you know how to hold your bow. You do know what it feels like. You do know what it's like when your heart's pumping and, uh, and you do just sort of the best you can. And when you screw up a couple of times, well, you try and figure out something else to, to kind 
kind of tweak that or or refine refine it for the next time you go out. So you do every, everything you can to make sure that when you get to that moment, you don't have to think about your bow being level, how comfortable you are. Is the string going to hit my arm when I'm when I'm cocked in this certain position? Do everything you can to not think. Huge, and I think uh, I think we can as long as we can just trick ourselves, being like the technology is so good now. I can walk back to sixty, and I'm not even a good shot, but I can dart them in there fairly well. But if I'm at 60 yards and you're looking at a tiny little ram and he's in the cliffs and you're looking at a 30 degree angle and you can't sit down properly, that's a completely different shot. And, and like that's bull hunting, um, that's bull hunting in the mountains and, and, uh, knowing how to use your, your bubble, knowing how to use your rangefinder, that stuff is so critical. Do, do you use a cut chart? Sorry, what's that? Do you use a cut chart for your angles? Nope. I use just an angle compensating rangefinder. Okay. What about yeah. um, for there in the off season? I mean, knowing that you're in this type of environment uh, when you're going hunting, but during the off season, how do you prep for the clothing? Because I mean, if you're having heavy, thick clothes, do you also wear that during the off season while practicing? So you're getting used to how it's going to feel with holding how much space you need to have between the bow and your clothing. Uh, so you're not hitting your arm and various things. Do you, uh, do you wear it while you're exercising and, uh, practicing or you just kind of throw it on and hope for the best? No, that's a really good point. Like I, I can remember one time I, uh, had these really thick mitts on and this is way back in the day. And there was, you know, those, mitts you flip the the and then you got the fingers underneath and i tried to put my rangefinder over it and it was all snowy and wet and I, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what i was doing but i tried to touch off on my release and right before i could even get it drawn back the mitt had flopped over and and knocked it over and, and or and my arrow went flying way off into oblivion and but it really like and and not since then i was probably too stupid uh but now just get more serious. Try it like as much as possible. If you have a hoodie on or, or you're hunting in a hoodie or you're hunting in whatever you're hunting in is, is yeah, you got to be practicing it. If you're wearing gloves, you got to practice. Um, exactly like you said, it's going to feel really different hunting in a big coat. Um, same as whitetail hunting. Like you're not just sitting there. You got maybe a big coat on, you can sit in for a while or you, or, or, um, it's it's just completely different. You got bulk in your chest. You got a hoodie on that might kind of bugger up your anchor point, and and uh, you need to kind of work those kinks out and figure it out. I guess it's mm-hmm. a good idea for even the temperature. I mean, you're going to be if on the hot season, you're going to be hot. But then again, that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. And if you can overcome that comfort uh, and still try to be proficient, that probably helps you as well when you're in these type of environments because you're going to be hot also because you're just the adrenaline, hot and cold, taking the clothing off, getting up in that area. You're going to be experiencing it. So being hot while even on the off season is probably going to be a good idea. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, even too, like we were climbing hard. And like one side of your body's just getting the wind and hammered and almost frozen in my, my icicles in my beard. And my one side of my hoodie was just frozen and the other side wasn't. And then you're kind of sweating still underneath all your gear, (laughs) but you're trying, you're trying not to get sweated up because your, your arms getting froze, like the coals are sweating and then it's frozen, but you're trying to stay warm and, and then you stop and you're trying to get geared up 
on top of the mountain and to stay warm it's uh you're yeah you're exactly right like you go from being so hot and sweating instantly you could be that could just turn to ice and and then you're trying to get geared up and warm and then trying to move with all that gear on and and uh and and you you really just got to say like um you can't just rush like in a way you just can't rush it you got to just kind of do what you can or take what you can um and, and then just be prepared for that yeah well so one of the one of our listeners in here and, he, and they're they're listening and they're like this is what i want to do like this this is my new goal this is what i'm gonna do in five years i'm gonna go i'm gonna hunt a ram what's the direction what's the first step in, in them starting to go after that i mean is there a specific place they should go hunt is there something that's a little bit more accessible for someone one to do you know do it yourself or is it better to just go hire hire a guide in one of those areas well uh, kind of that's uh well i think that's like a really personal question but the first the first thing i'd say like someone who's never hunted say out west but always has that dream mm-hmm. you can just draw like go hunt an antelope or go hunt uh, a mule deer or go hunt like even a whatever a mule deer doe in the mountains mm-hmm. and see what it's like to spend three days camping and backpacking and then hunting in the mountains and and then if you really like it and then you're like yeah i want to hunt a sheep or a mountain goat or whatever it is then you're gonna know but even just saying like i'm gonna hunt around in five years that's like kind of far out but um I, I really think like go see if you like it and then if you do and you like being out in the mountains you'll know by whatever you're hunting just because it's not really the animal it's going to be like being out there mm-hmm. um being in the mountains camping trying to survive battling the elements finding water eating backpack food uh you're, like all that stuff you're going to like that process and then and then at that point then you can start saying, hey, like, I need to start applying for tags. I need to start talking to outfitters. Here's mm-hmm. some places I want to go to. And then the, the resources there are just endless. But really, like, I think, uh, and there's tons of opportunities to, to do things out west where, like, an over-the-counter elk tag or something is, like, you just have the opportunity to be out in the mountains and, and, and experience that first and foremost. Ba- baby baby steps <laughs> so yeah. they go and they experience all these uh, that's a great idea I mean getting their feet wet before they jump into something this of a mammoth and but they've gone through that process they know that they're going to go for a sheep that's their that's on their bucket list and they're going to do it now how much time should they be prepping before it gets close to the actual season to do it, to find the right, uh, either it's going to be a guide or an outfitter, um, or to plan for the, the flights, the, you know, especially when it comes down to even for scouting, like how much should they be thinking ahead before taking on something like that? Well, um, I mean, I know you have so, the experience getting over time, so it's made it a lot yeah, easier, no. but for someone new, what would you think is like the most important when it comes to time purpose? So I'd say for for me it never ends, <laughs> and that's kind of a good thing. And that's just like even sports, like people say, or that saying, there is no off season. That's kind of how it is. But or like even just like really good whitetail hunters or mule deer hunters, it's in a way or elk hunters. There's there is no off season, and and that's kind of what fuels us, and that's why it's sort of a passion too. 
but um, like say probably the most popular hunt or the most uh, not entry level, but in a way it's it's like a doll sheep hunt, whether it's in Alaska or the Northwest Territories or um, the Yukon in mm-hmm. those two places in Canada. You can there's different options. You can go on an outfitted hunt, um, or you can watch. Well, I think you got to go on an outfitted hunt on all three of those. But um, say Alaska, you can draw a tag. You have the option whereas say in Canada you can buy the tag from the outfitter. So I I think maybe like two probably two years talking to outfitters, talking to guides, there's a lot of different ones out there and how they run. Um, things like some of them use helicopters, some use jet boats, some use horses. And that's gonna go to like your personal like what you personally want to achieve, the personal experience you wanna have. Um, and then like in a way too you're gonna connect with the outfitter just on say a personal level and your goals align, then then that's probably somewhere you want to hunt or the hunt sounds like something you want to do. There's probably going to have been people who have done that hunt too. So you want to probably talk to the guys who have actually done it or experienced something very similar. And um, there's lots of resources out there for that too. So t- talk to as many guys as, as you are. And I, I find like hunters are really helpful and, and usually really re- willing to share sort of their insight and information and happy to help out. Um, so I, I think kind of, like at least two years before you start planning to your first sheep hunt. Um, that's interesting. Just on the planning stages. Yeah, I mean that that that's actually very interesting because I, I in my mind thought I was like if I wanted to do it this year would it be possible? It probably is, but thinking ahead, giving it two years, you're allowing yourself to find the right people to work with, or not only that, training for your you know physically, but then all the yeah. ta- the technical aspects of it just to be able to achieve this type of a hunt giving that time allows you to be, make sure you have a, a more successful hunt. Yeah. I think that's uh bang on. And also too, like you can, and, and uh, like finances and, and money is definitely a concern. You're traveling. Like you got to get gear. You got to travel. You got to take time off work. Um, you got to pay for the hunt and tip the guide and, and stuff like that. But um, also too is uh, like definitely going last minute is, certainly an option you just need to know um you just need to know uh kind of what you're getting into that's kind of the way i set up i say like there's a window where i can possibly take time off work if something comes up um talk to outfitters hey get on your their last minute list um but and and in a way it's for me i really like doing that because the likelihood of me actually going on a hunt is very slim but the whole time off, like three months before that window, I guess I'd call it, I'm like training, like I'm getting ready for the hunt. I'm like practicing my shooting. I'm getting into shape. I'm getting ready like I'm hunting. And if nothing comes out, I think I'm just like a better bow hunter for kind of spending that last three months training my ass off, trying to get ready for a sheep hunt. Yeah. Even if, I'm, even if it doesn't work out. Hmm. You know, looking at one of the things we had when I think it was a second or third episode we learned some interesting facts about the place. It was in Colorado, and that in that area, there were some regulations that I was unaware of. There was things that you can and can't do that he brought up to light, which is very informative. Being that you are in Canada, you'd be more familiar with this than we would. Is there ty- things that someone like us should be aware of going into a hunt like this, things that you know you can't be doing, and things that you're like, it's regulations that you just have to make sure you follow? Are there things that we should be aware of? Yeah, that's 
that's another really good question too. So even say like go to Alaska, you need a permit to take pictures in some of the parks and you need a permit to take pictures, stuff like that. And Oops, you might be I didn't know that. <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't do yeah. that. So it, exactly. Like, and, and like your intentions aren't to do anything illegal and you didn't know. And like that, but like stuff like that is things, things to research or definitely. And, and you know, one thing too, that's getting a little strange now is, just transporting your weapon on an airline is getting really frustrated or frustrating. They, maybe they, like the policies aren't the same or changing them. They're getting a little more stricter, getting your guns into different countries, stuff like that. If, if that's what you're, you're mm-hmm. using, but, or whatever, even your bow. So, um, stuff like that. I, I've actually now when I've been traveling, I've kind of put a, I put a bicycle, couple bicycle stickers on my bow case when i travel so people go oh are you were you biking are you going biking and then they just think it's a bike so that's what i've been doing it's worked the last couple times so that's awesome <laughs> things you don't think about well are, are there any specific regulations um hunting wise like for instance i think travis was alluding to uh evan williams uh from colorado that's right he was talking about specific there's specific broadheads you can't use expandables i i think that rule has since changed but rules like that about hunting are there specific regulations that are do's do nots in canada yeah there's definitely so things like um and they're different in every jurisdiction so british columbia would have different regulations but uh Mm -hmm. like the northwest territories the yukon all have kind of similar but little differences and, and uh, stuff there. Alberta is a little different too. So there's say some minimum poundage stuff, usually 40 pounds on the sheep. In some places, the sheep have to be seven and a half years old or older. That's mm-hmm. one thing. Or else they have to be say full curl, which is different too in say all four of those provinces. In BC, full curl means it comes over the bridge of his nose on, on thin horn sheep. Mm-hmm. In the Yukon, mm-hmm. I think it has to be seven and a half or older or... Uh, I want to say three quarter curl in the Northwest Territories. They have a funny rule. It's uh, I think the sheep has to be three quarters curl. So you draw a line from the front of the horn to the back of the eye. But they say there you can imagine. So if you can imagine the horn crossing that line, it's also legal. So <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty up to interpretation. And then say in Alberta, they have some areas where the rams have to be full curl which is different from, say, the BC definition of full curl and different from, um, and then uh, and then some is a four-fifths curl where you draw a line from the front of the horn, from the eye, downwards. And uh, so just some kind of nuances like that. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, like I, I'd say kind of fairly standard, standard on broadhead diameter, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, two things. One, it uh, looks like I spoke incorrectly. That, that law in Colorado did not change, still can't use expandables. And, and two, something you start talking about was the age, uh, the age of a Ram, something totally foreign to a lot of people. How do you age a Ram? Well, what are the, what are the things that you're looking at to identify how old a Ram is? Okay. So a lot of them have aging. So in the summer time they grow. And then when they hit the rut in the start of winter in November, they're spending so much energy, they kind of stop growing. And then you'll get like what's called manulus. Um, and then you can see it's called or an age ring. Um, and typically their fourth year is their most distinct age ring. And then they kind of go kind of counting up from there. Hopefully your guide can, can age them. But, uh, <laughs> like a bighorn sheep is almost impossible. Like an old ram is almost, you can just tell you probably get to nine or 10 on the age rings. 
and then you'll have some age rings below the hairline, but you'll know there's nine age rings and he's got to have a couple more below the hairline. So mm-hmm. they're really difficult to, to wear. I say a thin horn is fairly, fairly easy to, to judge with good optics. Mm-hmm. So it really gets to a point when, you know, they're, it's a definite, they're definitely old enough. And then the ones that are, that aren't, you can tell there's a kind of defining line of yes and no. Yeah, for sure. And, okay. and, uh, so, you know, that, that, that's like really part of the trophy is like a nasty old busted up for me. Anyways, it's like a nasty old heavy horn, like chipped horns or broken back, uh, Ram for me is like some ugly looking thing. It's like just as much as this is a trophy to me. So that's awesome. Well, thinking about the food, I mean, how do they taste? So, uh, in, I, I think the doll, doll sheet meat in the summer is unreal. Probably the best way are bring some Montreal steak spice or whatever steak spice you're into and throw it on a willow branch and eat it. That like after eating mountain house. And, and even if you're eating the best food ever, nothing can beat that. Bighorn early is really good. Later season, it gets a little like a whitetail, kind of gets uh, a little a little pungent, but it's still okay. Make sausage or whatever out of it, and it's uh, it's still good. Uh, we always kind of joke we try and eat ram steak on Christmas, so <laughs> and and we hope it's not from two years before. So are they uh, are they more fatty? No, they're pretty lean, really lean. Interesting. Okay. You know, one of the things that you brought up when you were talking about preparation, especially when you were in the hunt, um, it was the weather, the conditions, and going into the equipment that you're using, the bow. Um, now, here in Georgia, we have some sporadic weather, and there's some times that we can be out in the hunt and it just might be a little bit of a frost. And I've experienced this with when I was just getting into bow hunting. I had one of those whisker biscuits. It was in a, a slight frost uh, during the day. And I could tell that the uh, the whisker biscuit was being a little bit not as flexible and free flowing to be able to pass through. It made it a lot harder. Um, I've even heard people saying that they where they were trying to pull back the bow, and this is other states that the bow would not actually pull back. It was frozen solid. You know, going into the mechanics, the and you're out there, and you said that there's snow on the cams. There, you know, the thing is cold itself. What? What are you using for not only the type of bow itself, uh, maybe the the sight, the rest, your release? Like, what are you using that you know has been the best with uh, that type of conditions where it's not freezing up on you or malfunctioning? Because if you have a a whisker biscuit, you're removing one of the variables as a mechanical. But when you have a a mechanical release, it has the the chances are that they could freeze up. So what is it you put in play that you have the best success in? Yeah, Travis, that's a really good point. So I just think um, one thing is is the technology has improved so much, but you just want to reduce, say, like as many variables as you can while you still try and maintain some performance. So for myself, I just try and stick with something like really reliable, something that I trust, something that's not like uh, crazy high tech, but uh, and, and in a way, I just just has to be like bomb proof because. Uh, you're falling, you're stumbling in the rocks, you're getting snow in your equipment, you're you're going to fall on your bow, and you need to know that it's going to hold together. So for, for myself, I just stick to, like, something really reliable, and I'm using, like, a Hoyt uh, Carbon Spider right now, and the cams kind of aren't as out of, say, they're not as high profile, so they I think they're kind of made pretty solid, strong. I dropped that bow and fell on it a 100 times in Azure Vision, and and uh, it was steep, nasty, and I 
bring a little backpack target and I just step back and shoot it. So I know it's uh, pretty good, pretty reliable. It might not be the fastest, but uh, it still is fine. And, uh, and I've just dropped it a bunch. I know it's tuned good. It works good. Um, I think just like really reliable on that side. Uh, I've been kind of fluctuating between sites, but uh, just using, say, uh, I think it's a Montana Black Gold a sliding site and kind of fluctuating between, say, like a five pin and a, and a one pin. I think mm-hmm. probably five pin is the way to go. But uh, yeah, that's like another thing too is is trying to keep snow out of that, trying to keep snow out of your peeps. So using like a string projector, um, something like uh, I think it's Cremos that makes it. Mm-hmm. Use that, and then uh, but I cut off say all the extra weight, and then uh, even stuff a couple arrows in there too uh, to protect them. Using something like that, and then uh, throwing like a little fabric case over my site when I go and then also I always throw a rain cover over my site and strap it to my boat so try and keep it obviously protected as much as possible but when you get down to it uh, just trying to keep as much snow off the cams as possible trying to keep snow out of your peep trying to keep snow out of your range finder and uh, yeah so that that's just all that's what, what I do, think anyways what do you shoot for for a rest do you shoot a drop away or yeah like a, I think it's a trophy taker smackdown or something and like I think that's pretty good. You're right. Like I think it's kind of the most foolproof. I don't know if there's something better out there, but it just seems to work for me, and it tunes well. And and I'm I'm pretty confident it's reliable. So not a lot of moving parts. There are obviously are some, but that one seems pretty good. And in that conditions, it's pretty decent. Also, too, I found it, uh, like cutting off, say that rubber piece in that snow might yeah. freeze or something. So I cut that off just to get the arrow in there uh, as well. Well, what do you shoot for a release? Uh, I shoot a, it's a too simple, just a thumb release. Mm-hmm. So I keep that in in my pocket all the time, never open that up until I'm going. And then uh, that's just the way to go. And when I get on a sheep or, or I just clip that on and go, it seems to work. And if I need to range, I just range and then grab my release and I'm ready to rock. So that's kind of what I'm using. Works well, works well when I'm, stalking because i don't have to split my release around on my back end or my release isn't clinking i just reach into my pocket and uh ready to go so that, that's just what i'm using so you sh- you said you're shooting uh which bow the spider yeah i think it's a spider turbo so with that you know it's it's not the fastest bow in the world and you're shooting a a tough animal so are you having or do you have an arrow setup that is is maybe a little bit heavier trying to get a little bit more impact out of it worried more about that impact than than speed yeah like i think i'm my setup right now i think i'm at 420 grains on my arrows and they're going it's at 80 pounds and they're going just under 310 feet per second nice so i think like you know and i try and use a big broadhead like a grim reaper and actually like Sheep aren't, aren't very tough. You just get an arrow into them anywhere but the shoulder. And, and obviously, I'm trying to make the best shot possible. But uh, I've never had a problem with the arrow not uh, not going right through. And so I'm just <laughs> simply like, try, it's surprising you say shot. they're not tough because we're the conditioning they live in. Yet you just touch them and they drop. <laughs> so, no, I'm serious. So you just, just get an arrow, a good shot on them, and then they're not like they're not tough like a whitetail or, or a mule deer. You just get a good arrow in them and... Uh, and that seems to work really well. So I just try and get like I've never had a problem blowing right through them. 
uh, from from anywhere, from any distance. So, what would be an a, an ethical distance shot? I mean, thinking one, the in general shot that you should be prepping for, but an ethical shot based on the type of condition you're in. Oh, that, so that's a that's a good question. I think that's really personal. So, um, for us, like we were there 22 yards. That wasn't an ethical shot. The wind was blowing. We couldn't even get our bow or pin steady. But you know, if you're practicing out to 100 yards and it's calm conditions and you're comfortable, the animal's not alarmed and you've practiced, I, like, I think that's an ethical shot and you have a reasonable chance to kill that animal ethically. That's a, that's an ethical shot, but it could be, it could have been 10 yards and that wind was blowing. That wasn't an ethical shot. So mm-hmm. what situation personal for myself, I like to practice out to about 120 yards. I haven't had to take any shots like that, but, uh, I'm really comfortable shooting out to 70 or 80 yards and wouldn't hesitate to, I like to get closer discounts, but uh, I wouldn't hesitate if the conditions are right to take a shot at 100 yards. Nice. That's awesome. What's what's the furthest yeah. shot you have harvested at? I think it's 76 yards. That's it's a phenomenal. pretty big slope. So. <laughs> Where'd you hit them? Right in the middle of the body. That was an Ibex low in Kyrgyzstan. Um, that was my longest mount shot. Wow. Oh, wow. Now, is this stuff that when you pack in, I mean, you're having to get, you've uh, dressed them out, you're packing them out. How long of a trek do you have usually when you get one of them? <laughs> so, like a, a lot of times, and depending on where you're hunting, you could have three days packing it out all your gear, or you could have just back the truck kind of four hours type thing. But you're going with, say, at that point, if you and a, if you and a buddy, you're going with each 120, 125 pounds. And uh, it's a grind. You're grinding. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your friend must be really a good friend if he's going to help you haul something like that out. Yeah, but if he's in there hunting with you or you're taking him to your favorite spot, he is a really good friend. So oh, usually yeah. that's how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not going out there that, with, uh, with a buddy that you just met. <laughs> no, exactly. He won't be a so, buddy afterwards. <laughs> no. Bull hunting sheep, the successful hunting sheep is pretty rare. So that's kind of a good thing on the, on the weight <laughs> side. Nice. Thinking about um, if you had to, you just met someone new and they're like, hey, I, I want to do one of these types of hunts. What would be the top five things that you think that you would need to have with you for a hunt like this? You have on you. You bring it every single time. It is like if you don't have it, you're not going to hunt. What would those five things be? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, for sure, my bow, my release, my arrows. I would bring my backpack most definitely. So that's two. <laughs> yeah, okay, two. My backpack. A really good pair of boots okay. is uh, the next one, and then uh, I wouldn't go anywhere without a good pair of binoculars, optics. A really, a really good rangefinder that you knew how to use and worked, and then I'd say uh, a backpack target. Make sure you bring a backpack target because, man, even if you shoot once a morning or once you're sitting around glassing or something and then you just shoot and you know you're on and dialed and you're both set up, that's uh, that's pretty comforting. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Plus, it, it doubles as a pretty good seat while you're sitting there glassing. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good, too. So <clears throat> the hunt, you know, 22 yards, where does that, where does that moment rank in – the moments you've had on the mountain, those memorable moments. I mean, you're talking about all the hard work you get there, and winds blowing, and this ram is just coming through the through the, the fog and the snow and coming right to you. Where does that moment rank? What what else is better than that? 
Because if there's something better than that, I want to hear that story. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I always think like the first time I we always call these we always call our hunts sheep hikes because it's mostly just sheep hiking, and uh, <laughs> it just seems like it's so so. Uh, I we went out with a friend. Her name's Kim, and she actually has her grand slam too. I think she's a really good hunter, and uh, she's just a friend of my dad's. And we went out, and uh, I I think I was thirteen. And we hiked way back into the middle of nowhere, and we were kind of doing a loop in the summer scouting. And I don't know if I was really into sheep hunting or whatever. And, and uh, I remember looking up and seeing, and just like you said, like you can tell an old ram or an old white-tailed deer or an old mule deer. And in the middle of summer, this ram stood up on these cliffs, and he stood there and stood there, and she passed me her binos and spotting scope. And I was looking at it, it's just in awe. And, and uh, she just kind of pokes me on the shoulder and goes, you know, Cam? this doesn't happen every day. And I kind of thought, oh, yeah, right, lady. Like, yeah, you don't really know. And when I, and now every season I go out since then, I guess like 17 years later, I always think about that. And the more I think about that, the more, or that moment just is more special to me than, than ever. And, that, and that's the moment I got hooked to sheep hunting. And that's the moment I, I, that's my best moment ever. So, and we weren't even hunting, I guess we were sheep hiking then. So, so that's it right there. A very similar moment when that ram came out and he just had huge, dark truck tires and he just emerged from that snow and he's coming right to us. And if the wind's going to stop and it's it, it like a moment like that is, uh, it's rare, but I guess kind of that's why we do it. And, and lucky to share that, lucky to get it on video, but lucky to share it with my old man too. And then kind of laugh about it on the way down. And, and then also to <laughs> think about, yeah, we're going to do something like that again tomorrow is pretty sweet. So, so uh, yeah, that was a really cool moment. That's I guess awesome. probably three, three days later when we killed him was even better. So Yeah, I would have bet. <laughs> that was also good. Have you ever had a moment, and I'm thinking of this as in a movie that's many people probably have heard, but it's called The Hunter. Um, but have you ever been in a moment where everything was right? you had the best conditions, you had the perfect distance, and you had the animal you're going after come up and you you just a split moment and realize, I'm not going to take the shot. Not because you can't, but you chose not to because of the the experience was more than enough. Yeah, for sure. I um, definitely, I, one, one spot I try and go to and so what happens in Alberta is the general season goes from say the end of August to the end of October. And I, my birthday is at the end of October and I always try and go sheep hunting then. And when I was in high school, I'd try and go and, and, uh, when it snows, I always try and go to this one spot and it takes about in the snow, maybe four hours in the summer. So about five and a half in the snow and it snowed and snowed and snow. I started about three in the morning and it was just a grind. And I got up to this spot where you can first see, and I looked up there and I saw, there was probably eight eight rams, and I thought, oh, man, there's one, like, unbelievable. Well, there's kind of three legal rams in there. They were really nice, but there's one, like, old, busted back, heavy ram. So I kind of made a plan, and I got in on them, and they were, all of them were about 10 yards from me, and I was at full draw, and same thing, snow was falling into my peep. I couldn't even range, but they were so close, it didn't matter. And uh, I laid there for three hours. It was just probably a foot of brand new snow the sun was shining and uh so quiet dead calm and these sheep were all around me and these other rams are just standing there and that big ram he would just stand behind another ram and stand in front and it just wasn't 
And I just sat there. And then those rams walked off, and they never gave me a shot. And they stood in the cliffs and just watched kind of like they had they had just kind of escaped. But And I just sat there kind of like, wow, this is, like, I can't even explain how cool this was. And, and, uh, and that kind of that's a really cool moment, too, where I think about, I think about that one a lot, just having the sheep that close and them interacting around me and, and that experience and the noises they were making and just how they interact <laughs> with each other was really cool. So that's phenomenal. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a good that's story. moment for sure. That is definitely a good story. I was trying to picture it myself. That would have been amazing. So it, it was unreal. So I was, uh, I was just lucky again there too, but just kind of being out there. I've been looking at your Facebook and I see a whole bunch of other types of uh, hunting that you've done as well as it seems like you're uh, really heavy into fly fishing. Like what other type of outdoor activities do you usually take part in? Yeah, this kind of mountain hunting stuff is kind of addicting. And I I think it's just like playing sports or whatever. You're trying to get better and improve and do something different and challenge yourself. So, and then uh, kind of experience things. So traveling, say like out of Canada into like, Kyrgyzstan and Azerbaijan and places like that where it's pretty affordable and but uh also it's just a completely different experience and they've never even seen a bow or never had a bow hunter is pretty cool and then uh doing things like fly fishing it's just kind of an extension to bow hunting for me and you're kind of mm-hmm. sneaking along river banks and targeting big fish and and uh trying to trick them and that's just another cool thing to get outside as well so so uh and Living out in Alberta, we're really lucky to have, say, some of the places we do that we can go explore for almost endless exploration. You'll never run into anyone. So that that's really cool, too. That's pretty amazing. Well, you know, you honestly, you've answered more than enough questions I could possibly imagine right now. And I'll probably have a million more as I go through uh, editing oh, this yeah. stuff. But, you know, thinking about... If someone wanted to do something, are you open to, if someone wanted to reach out to you and ask questions, are you open to that kind of stuff? Yeah, for sure. I definitely like lots of people have been more than helpful for me and and lots of people I look up to have been more than helpful for me. And I think that's one really good thing about bow hunters, whether you're like a bow hunting celebrity or a bow hunter or never hunted anything, there's so many helpful people out there and resources. So, so, uh, yeah, definitely is much as I can or um, offer some insight, I would be available or, or would definitely try and help all the best I could. Is the best way to find you is just through uh, Facebook? Yeah, Facebook's good. Um, I believe your I guess your name is like Bowhunter Cam? I yeah, Instagram is Bowhunter Cam um, or Facebook Cam Floss is uh, probably the two easiest ways. Well, great. Awesome. Well, Cam, you know, Thank you again for one taking the time. I know it's uh, you're a couple hours behind us, and really giving us an experience that for someone that's never done something like this, getting that that idea of a goal that they might want to achieve. I think you've really given us some good insight and some things to think about. Uh, I do appreciate your time, and uh, thank you. Thanks a lot, Travis. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Scott. Uh, yeah, really appreciate it, and keep up the good work. All right, listeners, what did you think of the episode? Cam Foss really gave a good explanation how it's like to hunt sheep in the Canadian mountains. And if you had a chance to see the video, which we have it posted up on our website on this episode, and you can get to it at mybowrush.com forward slash 035. For the ones that think that going after a type of animal like this, the sheep hunt, and want to do it within the same year and have not even tried to plan it, 
hopefully this episode gave you some insight to indicate that you really do need to plan this out. You know, give yourself, like Cam was saying, two years or more if needed so you can find the guides, find the location, speak with people who have done it, really learn what type of animal you're going after. So when you get out there, it's not a wasted trip and not a wasted hunt. I mean, the whole purpose of going out there is to experience something incredible. Why do it and not be prepared? So, you know, Cam gave some great advice. I hope that you learned something from this. I sure did. It was really cool to have Scott on out through this episode. And this is a really good month because, because each week we're going to be releasing a new episode on some sort of extreme hunt. We're going to be talking to people that are in Africa. We're going to be talking to people that are in New Zealand. We're going to be talking to some really cool uh, people that have amazing stories. So I, I can't wait to get them out. Stay tuned for them. Look for them. Each week, we're going to post these new episodes on our Facebook, on our Twitter, on our Instagram. Of course, if you're following us, awesome. If you haven't, you know, go to our website. It'll give you links to each of our social accounts. You can get to the page. It's mybowrush.com forward slash follow us. It'll let you know how to get to our iTunes account so you can subscribe. It'll let you know how to get into our Facebook, our Instagram not get into it, but find us on these social accounts so you can follow us and stay up to date. Now, if you're one of the 10,000 people that are listening to our episode on iTunes, you've obviously found us on iTunes. And if you like our episodes that we've had so far in our past and even now, and especially this one, because we're really excited about it. But if you could take a moment and give us a review, we'd really look, we're looking for the five-star review if you felt our episode was worth it or our show itself. But any type of review you can give, that would be great. Let us know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, and so we can improve. We'd love for you to stay connected. So again, follow us on social media, subscribe to our iTunes account, and stay tuned for the next episode. Well, that's it. I'm Travis Stowe, your host of the Bowers Podcast. You'll hear from us next week, so stay tuned. Take care, guys.